0: Last year we've had catastrophic fires across Australia and California and well other disasters as well we've expended millions of dollars and put many lives at risk to save what animals and people we can and contain the enormous and all engulfing fires fire has one job one purpose one desire it consumes but interestingly when land is well taken care of fire is part of the balance the indigenous people of australia know this for thousands of years before england started schlepping their criminals over to the continent native australians were backburning areas of the desert creating controlled burns that balanced out the soil for better plant growth and limited the risk of wildfires To native Australian societies, fire was a key element of balance that could be controlled and used in harmony with the other elements of nature to create a fertile, thriving, and harmonious continent. Slowly, as the British invaded Australia and strong-armed the native people into compliance with weapons, law enforcement, a completely different kind of economy and disease, The indigenous population grew smaller, and their care of the land was confined, and in places it was banned. And so now the continent burns. It burns often and dangerously, attacking the people, wildlife, and land. It feels like every time the wildfires start up again in Australia, they are bigger and reappear sooner than the last time. These fires consume everything and balance nothing. This gross mismanagement of land hasn't gone unnoticed. Australian professors and indigenous experts are recalling the old practices of backburning and pleading with the government to reinstate some of the native ways of land management. Hindo Umaro Ibrahim from the country of Chad is an indigenous people's climate change activist. She once invited a group of meteorologists to visit her pastoral community in Chad While there, the women of the community knew it was going to rain and began to prepare. The meteorologists were skeptical as they could see no signs of an impending storm. Sure enough, a few hours later, a heavy downpour began. The women of this community didn't rely solely on wind patterns, air pressure, or cloud cover. They looked to the other creatures around them, noticing that the ants were burying their eggs underground. With thousands of years of wisdom and experience guiding them, these women knew how to read their ancestral land in a way that scientists simply couldn't. Indigenous cultures are at much higher risk due to climate change. Dramatic temperature changes each season, bigger storms, longer droughts, water levels rising in the oceans and falling in lakes, and other effects of climate change are felt first by the people who are closest to nature. They are more likely to become dehydrated when wells dry up, starve as animal species go extinct or contract diseases, and freeze during unnatural cold snaps. In a bitter twist of irony, indigenous cultures have the smallest carbon footprint and the most sustainable land management practices. Even after imperialism fell out of popularity, native peoples still suffer for the comforts and luxuries of conquering nations. Hindu says, There cannot be a solution to combat climate change if it does not include indigenous people. The wisdom we hold is based on living in harmony with nature. We know how to keep the balance of nature. She travels around the world, working with world leaders and indigenous people from everywhere to create actionable plans to combat climate change using the wisdom and sustainable living exhibited by native cultures to demonstrate effective ways to save Mother Gaia, and maybe ourselves in the process. Hello, witches, women, and other lovely listeners. I'm Hannah, the bipolar, bisexual host of this bi-weekly podcast of witches and women. In this podcast, we get to explore the lives of powerful women, both real and mythological. Strong women have historically been labeled as witches or something else equally troubling, taboo, and easy to justify killing or dismissing. I'm telling their stories because most of these tales are amazing, and all of them are fascinating. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, and if you do social media, connect with me through Of Witches and Women on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Of course, be sure you also check out the website, which is the most in-depth and exciting resource I can offer you. When you visit ofwitchesandwomen.com, you'll find fantastic merchandise of both the serious and salty variety. Lots of the merchandise is limited edition, so get it while we're still in ancient Greece. You'll also find the Grimoire Gallery, which is our internet gallery curated with art by today's working artists and featuring witches, women, and goddesses of ancient Greece. If you see something you like, you can support a small business by visiting the artist's portfolio sites, to see, share, or purchase more of their work. Plus, you can even buy some of their prints starting at just $15 in the Of Witches and Women's shop. If you're not a fan of fake news, then you need to check out the Lamia Library, where I list all of my show notes and other resources and recommendations. Of course, subscribe to the newsletter The Oracle on any page of the Of Witches and Women website. Just scroll down and add your email address. The Bi-Weekly Oracle tells the shorter, fascinating, more obscure stories that we won't get to cover on the show. It highlights Grimoire Gallery artists, shares simple spells and book recommendations, and more. So don't miss out. Subscribe today. Hey, witches. I know some of you are into the paranormal. So if you like hearing and discussing ghosts, UFOs, and even cryptozoology, then Suburban Paranormal is a must-listen. This podcast is hosted by none other than Dex Burgess, who dives into all of these subjects. Join in as every other week a new topic is discussed with nothing off-limits when it comes to the paranormal. Everything from news, TV shows, and more. All topics are then continued on social media with other paranormal enthusiasts as well. You can find Suburban Paranormal on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Cinescape.media, and all other major podcast platforms. So subscribe now and join in on the discussion. As it turns out, managing the earth, the land, the source of food and life for, well, everything, is a full-time job, and a job that requires the power of a full-time goddess, Demeter. Demeter is possibly the most ancient goddess worshipped by the people of ancient Greece. In lore, she is the older sister of Zeus, goddess of the harvest and devoted mother. However, Like Hecate, Demeter was adopted into the Grecian pantheon from other, more ancient, established religions. Demeter's roots stretch far deeper than Mount Olympus, and her power was the most worshipped and respected in all the land, because her impact was the most powerful in the day-to-day lives of us mere mortals. Variations of Demeter and Gaia have been worshipped almost since man began to look to the heavens for answers to how the world works. In ancient Greece, Demeter had regular worshippers and festivals like the other gods, but she also had many cult followings like the Elysian Mysteries, today's most famous secret religious cult and festival in ancient Greece. To the followers of the Elysian Mysteries, Demeter, mother of the harvest, was so sacred that her name was not to be spoken aloud. But these devout worshippers didn't stop Demeter from behaving, like all the other Greek gods, in a less than omniscient manner. From ancient paintings and sculptures, we can see that Demeter looked a lot like her sister, Hera, Queen of Heaven. The differences are that Demeter often appears softer, fuller, rounder, a more motherly figure, bursting with fertility and the life she bestows in the earth every planting season. In the earliest days of humanity, Demeter fell in love with a human farmer, and the two snuck away together at a wedding to get busy in a thrice plowed field a tribute to the goddess of the harvest. Aeson, the human man, was struck by a bolt of Zeus's lightning because he doesn't like to share his toys. But not before Aeson and Demeter consummated their love and Demeter became pregnant with twins. Demeter mourned the loss of her first love, retreating from the earth that so desperately needed her and creating the first famine. But soon, the twins were born, Pluto's and Philomenus, the first grew up to be the god of wealth and the second followed in his mother's footsteps, becoming the patron of farming. I like to think that in her times of deepest despair, which were used by ancient civilizations to explain famine, Demeter retreated into caves and underground to be with her mother, the first life giver, Gaia. With similar talents for creating life from nothing, Mother Gaia would have a close bond with her daughter Demeter, who brought new life to her face each year and blessed all of humanity with their shared gifts. Slowly, Plutus and Philomelus grew under the care of their mother and grandmother. Eventually, they ventured out into the world to begin their work as minor gods, and Demeter began to grow and heal as well. Demeter began to give heed to the cries of humanity, and Gaia encouraged her to return to the earth, finding solace in service and in her unique gift of life. The people's sacrifices and gratitude for Demeter soothed the wounds of lost love. Again, she blessed their fields with life and with growth. Decades or perhaps centuries later, Poseidon decided to shoot his shot with Demeter, non-consensually of course. She ran from him, disguising herself as a horse, but Poseidon, the earth shaker, was not easily shaken off and transformed himself into a horse as well. After days of the chase, Poseidon finally caught up to Demeter in a cave and raped her. Demeter again conceived and this time she bore the god of horses, Arion. Demeter retreated from the world, this time she needed to heal from a different trauma. She hid herself in her mother's arms and began raising her young stallion. Again, the earth suffered during her loss and the people cried out, more desperate for food than for anything the other gods could offer them. When Demeter returned, the fertile Mediterranean earth blossomed anew, fresh with life, healing and hope, just like the goddess herself. Eventually, Zeus claimed Demeter for himself, because of course he did. Demeter became Zeus's fourth wife, and together they had Demeter's most famous child, Persephone. Wary of the Queen of Heaven and cautious because of her own experience with men, Demeter raised her only daughter and most powerful progeny with great caution. And maybe she was a tad bit overprotective. Demeter and Persephone had incredibly compatible powers, and Persephone helped with the planting and bringing of new life every spring. Some think that she is nothing more than a goddess of flowers, but in a time and place where crops are the difference between life and death, a goddess of flowers is very, very important. In some cultures and places, Demeter, Persephone, and Gaia were all blended together, one benevolent mother goddess tied to the earth and giver of life. But in other depictions, such as ancient Greece, Demeter and Persephone are shown working side by side, blessing their mother earth. And in one painting, Persephone sits in Demeter's chariot as Demeter drives them through the earth, breathing life into everything they pass on their way to Mount Olympus. Hera and Demeter both had relations with Zeus, but Hera, perhaps out of sisterly loyalty or fear for Zeus' wrath, never enacted vengeance against Demeter or Persephone like she did to so many others. Scholars and pop culture mythology enthusiasts debate whether Persephone was kidnapped into the underworld or went willingly on her own in order to stretch her wings. Either way, Demeter was not ready to let go of her daughter, and didn't know where she had vanished to. Demeter searched the earth, neglecting the fields and farms, desperate for her daughter. Hecate, hearing the mother's cries and the people's cries and Persephone's clear, beautiful voice, quickly found the goddess of springtime in the underworld. Because Hecate is the only Greek deity who can cross easily into any realm, living or dead, she visited her friend Persephone, performing a wellness check of sorts. Hecate then returned to the earth and reassured and comforted Demeter, telling her Persephone was alive and well, living in a palace and a garden crafted especially for her by the doting Hades, who hoped to woo Persephone into becoming queen of the dead. This terrified Demeter, who had no real experience with loving relationships, and she sent Hermes to retrieve her daughter. However, when Hermes got to Elysium, Persephone's personal heaven, Persephone triumphantly told him that she had eaten the food of the underworld and was therefore stuck forever. Next, Demeter appealed to Zeus. I can only imagine her desperate cries of anguish and overwhelming fear that Demeter held that Hera would whisper into Zeus's ear, separating her from her beloved daughter forever. However, Zeus, whose powers fed on humanity's offerings, heard the desperate cries of the people and knew that Demeter's pleas had to be met. So he proposed a compromise. Each year, Persephone would spring from the underworld to assist with the agricultural needs of the people and then could return to the underworld for the lesser part of the year after harvest ended. No one was fully satisfied with this decree except for Zeus who was always satisfied, but at least the crops began to thrive again. It's fascinating to me how underestimated goddesses like Demeter are today. Our movies and video games and books tend to focus on conquering heroes like Hercules, Perseus, or the 300 Spartans But none of them could exist, would exist, in Greek mythology without the ever-giving Gaia and her nurturing daughter, Demeter. Today's episode is brought to you by Honestly Essential Oils. Unlike the Essential Oil Barons, Honestly Essential Oils is a small, family-run company with fewer employees than I have fingers, all of whom are skilled in different areas of holistic medicine, including the company owner who has more than 26 years of aromatherapy experience and has mixed soothing blends for many large oil companies written books on holistic medicine, and even run a massage therapy school for many years. Because Honestly Essential Oils doesn't pay a long line of salespeople before the oils reach you, their oils are far less expensive than many other companies. Plus, Honestly Essential Oils are sourced and tested to verify a high concentration of top-quality oils in every bottle every single honestly essential oil and carrier oil is either certified organic kosher or vegan and all of them are completely composed only of the highest quality food grade extracts and oils honestly essential oils are great for meditation soothing colds cooking or whatever you need you can try out honestly essential oils for yourself with a 100 percent satisfaction guarantee And, listeners of this podcast get 10% off your first order when you use the promo code WITCHES at checkout. So, look up honestlyessential.com today and use the promo code WITCHES for a sweet deal on the best oils a witch can get. earth is at risk today becoming more and more polluted by the second how can we expect to carry on when once-in-a-lifetime natural disasters happen well too often to count in my lifetime carcinogenic microplastics infiltrate our drinking water and fires roar rage and consume entire continents almost as hungry as the corporations and as greedy as Zeus that feed on consumerism and our disinterest in natural resource management. So what can we do? We can listen to our modern day Demeter's, protectors of earth and life. We can listen to Hindu Amuru Ibrahim. Her article from Time Magazine is linked in the show notes. I would encourage you to check it out and explore her perspective. We can also vote for politicians who actively fight for better climate change policies. We can stop buying from wasteful corporations and start buying as much of our food from local sources as we can. Of course, I have to add a plug here for the website of one of our sponsors, manonamountain.com. Manonamountain.com is run by my husband, a master's student studying ecotourism and recreation. He's a wilderness survival and sustainable resources expert, and his website has lots of content, ranging from long research articles on why our national park system is failing, to short and simple solutions to the unrealized nightmare that is non-recyclable wrapping paper. That's right, you can't recycle wrapping paper. What will you do to defend the most sacred of the goddesses? Be sure to reach out and tell us on social media. As of episode 10, featuring the magical sorceress Cersei, who turned men into pigs, what a hobby am I, right? We won't be doing a charm at the end of each episode. Instead, charms, spells, potions, poultices, grimoires, and magical book recommendations will come at the end of each oracle newsletter, so be sure to subscribe today, and tell your coven, tribe, squad, best friend, or the monster under your bed to subscribe as well. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you for listening. Be sure you and your squad are subscribed to Of Witches and Women. And please, please leave me a magical review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play so others can find and enjoy the show as well. Connect to the pod on social media and look up ofwitchesandwomen.com for show notes, reusable canvas tote bags, and to subscribe to The Oracle. Stay fierce, witches, and we'll catch you next time. Of Witches and Women is brought to you by SHH Media, LLC.